Well, good morning, everybody. I'm glad to see that the tryptophan has worn off. That's the chemical in Turkey, for those that don't know, that make you a little sleepy after you eat it. Um, but happy Thanksgiving to everybody, and we're so glad that you're here this morning. And um, I'm looking forward to getting back into John chapter 6. And, uh, but before I do, I, I just wanted to have a little bit more family time. How many of you enjoyed our, um, our annual business meeting last week? Was that awesome? Just great to hear the faithfulness of God. And, and one of the things that, um, that I wanted to do before I get into the message is I wanted to thank a few people, um, th- three individuals specifically who are now stepping off of the board. And I think you caught that, but I just want to take a minute longer and encourage you guys and thank you. Pablo, could you just stand up and wave to everybody so that you can see who you are? His much better looking half, uh, Marilyn, is next to him there. And Marilyn, we honor you as well. Pablo, I, I want to thank you for your three years on the board and um, just what you meant to this church. And when I was praying and thinking about you, the word joy came into my mind. And if you know Pablo, you know joy, right? And if you read the Old Testament, joy and strength are kind of partnered together. That when you obey the Lord, he gives you joy and you have victory in battle. And, and so joy is not a weak thing. It's not like if you also know Pablo, you know he's not la-la-la joy. He's more like, joy, what's up? And, um, and so, Pablo, thank you for your strength and thank you for your joy and uh, what you bring to this church body and for the years that you served on the board. So I just wanted to honor you and thank you for that. Uh, I know Eric is watching online, but his wife Kathy is here. Kathy, if you could wave to everybody. And uh, Eric... Uh, Welcome back online for those of you too. I know we, we pulled the plug last week, but we're glad to have um, our services streamed today. But Eric, I wanted to say to you, um, so grateful for your perseverance. And if you know Eric, that, that is a word that um, is synonymous with him, that he's one who perseveres. And no matter what the obstacle is, no matter uh, what the, the situation, uh, Eric is reliable. You can count on him, and he will persevere through it. And I was thinking about um, multiple certain knee surgeries that he had. You know, I, I hurt my calf a little, and I'm like, I don't want to walk up the stairs. You know, Eric's just poof, knee surgeries, coming upstairs and continuing to work and doing what he's got to do. And so, Eric, I just appreciate you in your uh, modeling perseverance, and thank you for your three years on the board as well. So, yeah. And Bryant, you got to hear Bryant last Sunday. I, he was our guest speaker, you know. So uh, Bryant and his wife, Karen, um, thank you both. Thank you, Bryant, for your heart and your service. And when, when I thought about you, uh, I thought about the word encourager. And sometimes that's a word that we just throw around. Like, oh, he's such an encourager. But do you realize, like, what encouragement really is? Encouragement is when you speak the truth of something in somebody else's character, it infuses them with courage. Like, it in encourages them. And um, I think, Bryant, that was much of your contribution to our deacon board and to our church is speaking truth of what you see brings courage. And when somebody encourages well, you almost start to believe them. You know what I mean? You almost start to believe the things that they say about you and you, the courage that rises up in you and you want to live that way. And so thank you. Thank you so much for serving in your three years and want to honor you and Karen. Um, in our little family section here, I wanted to take a moment and say, what is a deacon, right? Do you ever wonder that? Like, what is a deacon? Um, I think that the Bible is a little bit, um, it's, it's not so like crystal clear on what a deacon is. We have different versions of deacons in different denominations, but when we read in scripture about it, we know that these are people of honor. We know that they're ones who lead their, their families well. Um, the word itself means servant, so we are all in that category as followers of Christ. Uh, I like one thing I read about it. It says we're all deaconing, right? We're doing the service that is there uh, for us in the church and kind of the business of the kingdom. And um, if you read in Acts chapter 6, it's kind of the first understanding that we have of why deacons in in the first place. Acts chapter 6 is when the the church is beginning to grow. And as the church grows, um, the natural overflow of the kingdom of God and the gospel being preached is it makes a difference in society, right? If it doesn't, what are we doing, right? So as you're living out the gospel... Things change. The most vulnerable are being cared for, for example. So in Acts chapter 6, the the widows um, were receiving uh, food and certain um, 
uh, basic needs that, that were there for them, and the church was distributing that. And there was a little bit of a cultural thing going on because the Greek widows were feeling like they weren't getting the care that they needed. And you can read it yourself in, in Acts chapter 6. But it was at that point in time that the church leadership said, hey, um, we shouldn't be pulled like the 12 disciples. I just did a big spit, and it just went boom like that. I just wanted to acknowledge it. It's there somewhere in the front. Stay away from that area. Stay away from that area. Anyways... <laughs> Thank you, Kate, for that laugh. Um, the, 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 the 12 were kind of like, and you can read it in there yourself, but the 12 were saying, why should we you know, be pulled away from the ministry of, of bringing God's word and prayer to wait tables? And it almost can sound kind of like snotty, like, hey, we're, we're much too spiritual to be waiting on tables. But that wasn't what they were saying at all. It was the beginning of good leadership within the church that the Holy Spirit was showing. Let's divide the labor of the, of the work of the church based on the gifts that God has in people, right? Are you still tracking with me? Uh, and, and so part of that division of labor was, if you read, I love this. It says of the deacons, find men who are filled with the Spirit and with wisdom, and among them were these original seven. Stephen was one of them who became such a bold witness for Christ that he um, gave his life for the sake of the gospel and just did it joyfully. And so we see that, that deacons are, are those who, who serve well in the context of the early church. It was waiting on tables and, and meeting the needs uh, of, of people um, physically. And what I love about the Bible and the way that church is structured is that the, the truth of the Bible fits into every culture and every time period. So our deacons today do some of that. Our deacons take care of the physical building of the church, but they also comprise what's needed for any legal nonprofit organization, a board, right? A, a system of accountability. And so... We meet uh, once a month, and we have uh, board meetings where they're all recorded. All we discuss things. We discuss the the financial um, stewardship, and these meetings are very exciting because we all wear those British wigs, and we have a thing, and we say "we um, voila." No, that's French. Sorry. No, we say uh, motion carried. You know, it's very proper. And there are often, it's on, if it's on Tuesdays, there are tacos involved. Thank you, Lisa, for providing. And, um, but but they're, they're carried through in Robert's Rules of Order so that they're recorded um, according to compliance with how every organization should run. So I just wanted you to kind of know the what. Sometimes I think we can take it a little bit for granted. There's much more to it, but um, that's in part what deacons are. And so I thank the ones that have, have left the board. Um, for their after, And our deacons serve for three years. But one of our misses last week, I wanted to give the opportunity for our new deacons to introduce themselves and their wives because um, their wives... Wives are going to be a key part in their families in the service of this church. So um, Christian and Arian and um, Isaac, would you come up with your wives and family and whoever you've got with you? And, um, and John as well. Uh, you don't get out on this, John. And if Olita's here, all right. Can you guys come up and can we give him a big uh, round of applause? And, uh, Joanna, can I use this microphone? All right. Christian, we're going to start with you because where's your wife, man? Where's your commitment, bro? <laughs> if you don't know, uh, Christian's wife, Kelsey, uh, gave birth this last week. And so they have their first daughter. I'll let you uh, tell, uh, introduce. Um. So I was a little surprised to see him. That is commitment already. So anyways, Christian, would you introduce yourself and kind of let us know what's going on in your life right now? We'll do. Hi, uh, my name is Christian Baker. Uh, my wife's not here again because she gave birth on Tuesday. Um, I, thank you. I, I often joke around that the only reason Kelsey kept me around was because she loved this church community so much. But now this church community only keeps me around because they love Kelsey so much. So I've been both, replaced. Both are true. And you guys have a second reason now because now we have a daughter named Lily. Uh, so, uh, right. so you guys can't get rid of me now. Um, but yeah, um, I grew up in this church. I kind of found this church when I was 12 years old, and you guys took me in, and uh, I have a lot of father figures here. Scott's been a father figure to me. Danny has poured into my life so much. I love this church. I love this church community, but uh, really, I love that this church glorifies Jesus, and it doesn't glorify a pastor, even though he's, he's really cool. Uh, it doesn't glorify the band or anything. It glorifies Jesus, and the leadership is really transparent and amazing in that, and uh, I don't know how much you want to know about me in this. That's good. You got it. Is that good? It's good. It. Perfect. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Christian. It's great, honestly. 
And uh, my name is Arian Giasi, and this is my wife, Laura, and you have probably seen uh, our three kids running around the church somewhere, if not through the pews, but outside somewhere. Um, And we've been going here for the last few years, and we just really love the fact that this is a godly family um, that worships God together. And... Um, we were just so grateful to be able to join in on that and be a part of that and look forward to raising our own kids here. And um, and Laura is one of the uh, many redheads that go to the church, so um, there's a certain <laughs> quota that they have to have here. So, uh, yeah. Thank you, Ari. Thank you, Laura. Yeah. Thanks, Sam. Hello, my name is Isaac Novella. This is my wife, Katie. And thank you. So, um, you know, we, we've been married for 18 years, and we have four children, um, primarily through adoptions. We're an adoptions family, and it's been in our heart for many years just to be an adoption family. And um, we're just uh, thankful for and humbled to be a part of this group and be part of this body. Um, you know, I, I just, you know, if, if, if God is with us, then who can be against us? And, and that's like one of the things that I... That I kind of was reading last night, I was thinking to sharing with this body, and just, I encourage you all to just, there's so many people that are hurting inside and outside these walls, and just to be a part of Joel and Abby's ministry, and the local ministry, um, and just to be a part of, you know, what's going on with um, and Pastor Andy in Ephesians mm-hmm. uh, for Wednesday nights, I just encourage you to just join in, and just um, just be a light to those that are around us, Lord, and so I just, um, I love I love the Lord I love, I love what he's done for our family, yeah. and I'm so just proud of um, Katie and all that she's done in our, my family, just taking care of children and, and everything. So I'm just grateful and, and honored to be a part of this. Thank you. Thanks. Hello, uh, name is John. This is my wife, Olita. We'll be going to uh, Bridge uh, next Easter. It'll be 20 years. Wow. So, yeah, we first came here on an Easter Sunday. Someone said, oh, you should try this church out, and here we are. We're still here. <laughs> so we obviously love the church, love the pastor, the staff. I mean, everyone's just great here. And uh, I've been on the board before and honored to be on it again. I thank you for your vote, and I just pray that God gives me the wisdom on this term to do as well. Or, you know, if you need anything, just, I guess, call. <laughs> <laughs> we so all thank have you your again. number, John. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you again. Appreciate it. <laughs> thank you, guys. Yeah, Awesome. Well, let's just give them all another big round of applause, and thank you guys so much for being willing to come up here. Yeah, thank you. All right. Well, John chapter 6, if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn right there to John chapter 6. And um, in this today's message is one I think that, that you'll be familiar with um, because... Man, it's, it's a, a story of what Jesus did and, um, and a miracle that he did that we often learned if we grew up in church. We learned it in Sunday school, and, and later it's associated with like artwork of Jesus walking on water. And, and sometimes we can take these miracles and, and leave them there, meaning we can think, oh, that was a childhood story that I heard about, or it was a picture somewhere. But did Jesus, the man, the Son of God, um, 100% God, 100% man, walk on water? And did he conduct this miracle? And I wholeheartedly believe that he did. And I believe that John placed it in this gospel for a reason. And so as we, um, as we turn there to John chapter 6 and verse 14, we're going to go through that particular miracle and how maybe it applies to our lives. How, um, how Jesus walking on water makes a difference in your life. If you, um, just for, for context, you might remember when we started studying John, there's this theme of sevens. And one of the sevens are the seven signs, right? So these are miraculous events. They're not like um, things that you look at and go, oh, that's so miraculous, like a um, kind of an adjective to describe something beautiful. They're miraculous because they broke the laws of science and something crazy happened that, that is a literal miracle. For example, the first thing that Jesus does in his earthly ministry is he turns water into wine. That just doesn't happen. That is a miracle, right? The second thing that he does is he heals the nobleman's son. This was a situation, and, and this theme throughout John, John's 
bringing these things about. Jesus is explaining who he is to people, and we're reading it ourselves to go, what are we going to do with this truth and reality? I have to stop and see. I saw Ryan and Sarah back there all the way from Tennessee. So welcome home. Yeah, happy to see you guys. Okay, sorry. So... So you see, um, these are, are things that are, are recorded for us to go, who else could do this? Only the Son of God. Who else could do this? And so um, it's, it's reinforcing the claims of Jesus. And how many of you know Jesus makes some pretty extreme claims? And he uses these seven I am statements too. And each time he does, the religious leaders shudder a little bit because he's saying, I'm God. And so he's not only saying it, but he demonstrates that with the things that he does. He turns water into wine. He heals the nobleman's son. And again, another theme was believe, believe, believe. And the nobleman believed. And Jesus spoke the word and the healing took place. That there was the healing of of the man at the pool that that Jesus came and he saved, he helped. There was the feeding of the 5,000, which... scholars would say it may be more like 20,000, really, when you add women and children. You just don't know. But but what's the difference if he multiplies little fish and loaf into 5,000 or 5 million? It's a miracle, right? And it's a sign that he did. And today's miracle of walking on the water and and as we continue on, we'll read about him healing the man born blind. And then it culminates in this resurrection story of Jesus' own resurrection. But he begins it with the resurrection of his good friend Lazarus. And so as we read uh, verse 16, here's what it says. It says, when the people saw the sign that he had done, this indeed, um, they said, this indeed is the prophet the one who has come into the world, the one they were waiting for, right? And interestingly, what they do and what we do with miracles and what we do with signs, oftentimes we, we look after that and we, we get excited about it and that's what we want, um, the, the experience or maybe the miracle. But this portion of scripture brings us back to Jesus' heart and why he did the signs in the first place. But, but what they did with this sign was like, they're like, this is the one, this is the one we've been waiting for. And then it says in verse 15, Jesus now perceiving, or if you really look at that Greek word, he knew something. He he, he knew in such a way because of his experience. And you can do some theological gymnastics here and try to figure out, did he know because he was God or did he perceive because he was a man? And I would say yes. He understood human nature. He understood, he read the moment, there was something of discernment going on. And if in your prayer life you're looking for a a good prayer to pray, it would be this, God, help me to be discerning. Help me to be discerning. Discernment is the perception or the understanding of what's happening in a moment or in a culture. We need discernment as we navigate through the, the madness of our world, as it goes in all kinds of directions, far away from the morality of God. And we're going, what do I do with this? We need his discernment to know how to make decisions for our children when it's time to put them into school. We need to know and discern um, who we date when it's time to get married. We need discernment on on how it is we choose a, a job or a vocation or a calling and when we're ready to launch out. We need discernment to know uh, how what we do after high school into the next steps, right? Do you follow me? This, this discernment carries throughout the rest of our lives. It's something that, that even as we took pause in our worship time to just settle down and listen to God for a moment, that's where discernment comes from. I think I, I've shared with you this before, but I remember um, when I was working with YWAM and we had this one outreach season and it was particularly difficult. And I remember just wanting so much to, to hear what God had to say. And I remember I was like, I'm going to be a really good Christian. I'm going to get up earlier than everybody else. Because if you get up earlier than everybody else, you're way more spiritual. Did you know that? So while if you, if, especially if you tiptoe out while they're still sleeping. So I remember just getting my Bible and, and opening it up. And I had this one spot that I would go to. And I would read, read, read. And I would pray, pray, pray. And I would write, write, write. And I would read more and pray more. And I would walk away frustrated, going, God, why aren't you speaking? And I will never forget this phrase that came into my mind. Your quiet time is not very silent. <laughs> Isn't it true, right? That we, that different personalities are different ways. I, that, you know, we all have things we don't really like about ourselves, you know, and, and that stuff we're all working out. But, you know, so, sometimes there's that need in certain personalities, like if there's, if there's quietness in the conversation, you've got to fill it with words. And sometimes in our 
seeking of the Lord and wanting discernment and trying to be more like Jesus and perceiving. And when it gets a little uncomfortable, we want to just fill it with words, even if they're spiritual words. But sometimes man, we got to find that space and not fall asleep while we're doing it, but find that space to get quiet and listen and actively hear his voice and learn to discern. And Jesus was perfect in that because he was a perfect human. And so he could discern something was happening. And what he perceived or knew or discerned was that they were about to come and take him by force and make him their king. I wonder what that would look like. The crowd grabbing him going, you will be our king. Be our king. Do kingly stuff. Right? Like, how do you do that? I don't know. But I imagine if it's 5,000 plus people, it's not safe. It's a dangerous situation because crowds are crazy. Right? We're entering into crowd time. Fortunately, now we do most of our shopping online. But if you go back into the good old days, you remember what it was like to, to fight the crowd. And, and, you know, you see these horrendous um, stories of people who sleep at a certain electronic store to get the latest thing. And they, like, trample over people to, to get through. You just see the greed of the crowd. I will make that thing my own, you know. So we know, we know what crowds are capable of. And this crowd wanted Jesus to be their king. Why? Because he was different than the other ones that spoke. He did signs. And his, there's, the signs pointed to the fact that he was supernatural. And so in, in verse 3, excuse me, um, sorry, in, in chapter 6, verse 3, we read something because in, in the end of this it says that they were going to take him by force and make him king. It says Jesus withdrew, and I underlined in my text here the word again Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself you guys see that if he withdrew again well what was the first time if you look back just a few verses in 6 3 that's where the whole thing started before the crowd came Jesus had gone up to the mountain and there he sat down with his disciples how many of you enjoy getting interrupted Especially when you, like, found your moment, you know? You're on the mountain, you're, you're, you're just ready to be with the Father, right? And be with your disciples, and he sits down. And as he sits down, he sees the crowds coming. What's interesting about this is that um, this is a common theme throughout Jesus' experience on the earth, that, that he came to, to seek and save the lost. He came not to, to be served, but to serve and yet we know of Jesus that he often withdrew to quiet and solitary places, right? It was, it was where he gained perspective. It was so vital and so important. And among the spiritual disciplines, it's one that I cherish. My personality is suited for that, where I, I, I love times of silence and solitude. I, I'll take as much as I can get. I'm weird that way, I guess. I don't know. Others might be a little bit different, and they don't like that time quietly. Maybe your favorite thing is fasting. That's everybody's favorite thing, right? Doesn't your flesh just love a good fast, right? But whatever that discipline might be, this was something we see modeled by Jesus, that, that he withdrew to a quiet place. And, and I got to say, if I think of my own life, if I think of, like, getting everything set up, and, you know, you're ready, and you're, you're just like, um, you know, holy, 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 and just having that moment, and then you see, like, oh, man, you see the crowd coming. And what's interesting about Jesus is that he responds different to different moments with the crowd because it's not only once that that happens. And in Matthew chapter 14, he sees the crowd coming in a moment of solitude. And it says this, that he has compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And then he goes and just heals them of their sickness. We have to have a, a, a softened heart before God with our interruptions because we might not know that the ones interrupting us might not be angels unaware, right? We don't know who it is that God is sending our way. But there's other moments in Scripture like this in John chapter 6 where he still addresses the crowd, but it's different. He rebukes this crowd. Same scenario, different outcome. And the basis of that outcome is on discernment, right? It's on the discernment of what the Father is doing in that moment and how he's seeing it. And so, so with this crowd, they come and Jesus says, hey, you're, you're, you're just after the sign. You're really not after me. What do we do with those things? And this is where I would say the importance of what Jesus models for us is gaining a perspective or silence and solitude or not just like these long moments, but was talking to our, our staff in our staff meeting. We had a devotion time together, and we talked about this idea of a micro-retreat. 
I thought that was going to just drop like a bomb, you know. <laughs> like you, you're thinking, what's a micro retreat? Well, like a mini retreat is like a day away with God, right? That's pretty cool. But a micro retreat is like, I only got a second here, God. I need you. A micro retreat is that ability to, in the middle of the crowd, in the middle of the busyness, to remember who you are and remember who your father is and, and learn how to say things like when you're being pressed in for a decision or whatever else to, how many of you know what a false urgency is or somebody else's emergency? Sometimes we're absolutely, I did it again, I'm sorry. Sometimes we're, we're absolutely ruled by that stuff. Somebody else's emergency becomes our emergency, or somebody else's urgency becomes our urgency, and, and you're going to see it in a moment. I, I, I think it's going to come together, but, but we can try to make decisions out of that. And how many of those are good decisions? Not very many. But the reality of it is, is if we can just learn to take that micro-retreat to step away and go, God, what's your heart in this moment? And that literally might mean this. Excuse me, I have to use the restroom. Because <laughs> then you could walk away and you can get to a quiet place and you can have a moment, God, I, I need you. It might, be a, it, it might be just learning how to say, hey, I need a moment to think about that. And taking that moment, getting out of the crisis of the crowd, getting out of the urgency of the moment and listening for the perspective of the Holy Spirit. And God is faithful. Because you, guess what? I think that's a prayer that God loves to answer. He loves it when we lean on him and not on ourselves. Is this making any sense? Is everybody sleepy this morning? I think the tryptophan kicked back in. <laughs> Come on, my soul, don't you get shy on me, right? Sing that song to yourself right now. Okay. The moment moves on, and, and Jesus, um, he had he has compassion, we know, on the one, and, and he has harsh words on the other, but... But then we see something happen where um, Jesus then helps his disciples get onto the other side of, the, of the, um, the boat, or excuse me, of the shore. Here's what it says. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew there in a boat to a desolate place. Oh, wrong verse. I'm sorry. My notes got mixed up. I hate it when that happens, man. Well, I know what happens. Could you put the scripture up? That's, that's how we do it. What's the next verse? Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew in the boat to a desolate... The next one after that one. That's the one I had mixed up. The next one after that? Is there no more after that? Okay, well, this is what happened. There you go. Pause. <laughs> Our, my, my scriptures got mixed up. So this is what happened. So Jesus... Himself, he, he, he helps the disciples get into the boat, right? And so we know this from, from Matthew. Matthew's perspective shows them that when the crowd is getting in, Jesus like, speaks harsh. He says he kind of makes them get into the boat. We don't know from John's account. From John's account, they, they get into the boat, and they go to the other side of the Sea of Tiberias. And as they're, as they're going to the other, the other side of the sea, um, a storm begins to rage on, right? And they're rowing in the midst of that storm. Now, um, where's Jesus in the midst of that storm? Jesus is somewhere else, right? It says that he's somewhere else. He's, he's on a mountaintop somewhere. He's alone with God, and the storm is happening. And the, the question begins to, to, to surface in our mind. Um, oh, it's right here. So, so it says in verse 16, When the evening came, the disciples went down to the sea, right? So as they go down to the sea... And they get into the boat. John doesn't give us all that detail. Matthew helps us understand that it's kind of urgent that Jesus helps them get into the boat. And, and they start across the sea uh, to Capernaum. And, and it was dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. It's got everything wrong in that moment. It's evening, you're in the water, it's dark. The question becomes this. Because Matthew 14, 22 says he immediately made them get in the boat... The question is this, is we're going through this process of discernment as we're having our little micro-retreat, as God is leading us. Does God always lead us to still waters? I mean, I love it when he does, but I'm talking, does God always lead us to still waters? Does God sometimes lead us into a storm? This isn't fun to preach either. I know you're not having fun, but, but, but it's true, right? Does God sometimes lead us into storms? This, this doesn't, it doesn't preach well uh, in the self-help world, but in the Christian world, it does. Because this is exactly 
what Jesus does. He leads them into a storm. Because what happens is like the, the water begins to pick up, right? And it gets hectic really fast. Um, <laughs> I was doing a little bit of research about this. And um, it, it says clearly in there that the sea became rough and a strong wind started blowing, right? And in the middle of that strong wind, um, one, one, commenta- one, one commentator says this. He observes that, you know, is it possible that, that God takes us out of one dangerous moment, puts us into another dangerous moment, because one dangerous moment's deadly, but the other one will get through? Have you ever thought about that? You're like, man, I want to get out of a dangerous situation. I just want to go into a good situation. But God leads them into stormy waters, but he saves them from a a crazy crowd. And I don't know if that's true or not, but I do know of God that he leads us into difficult times, because I'll read another passage that'll show us that a little bit later. I know, uh, are you familiar with The Horse and His Boy from C.S. Lewis? What a great book. Read it to your kids or just sneak read it on your own. It's part of the the Chronicles of Narnia. But one of the developments in that story, I'm going to totally blow it for you, but but one of the developments in that story is the whole way through as the horse and his boy are, are journeying to this place, they're seeing this wild animal. And at one point, this wild animal comes and attacks and, and leaves a scar on the back of the boy. And the whole time you're reading the book, you're thinking like it's good versus evil. You're thinking like it's some evil animal. But you realize that that moment of wounding, that moment of storm, was not a wild animal on the dark side. That was Aslan. That was the lion of the tribe of Judah. And a moment of wounding saves the boy's life. And then later, the boy's able to see that that scar represents the faithfulness of God. Is that crazy? Is that true in any of our lives as we really look for real in our stories? Because so many times I think we look to try to, to, to just think of the times where it went super smooth, where there's nothing messy about it. But the reality of it is, is God works in this messy world and he redeems things and he allows certain woundings to take place in our life because he's saving us from something else. He's not mean, he's not cruel, he's good, but he's dangerous. That's what C.S. Lewis says. So Jesus does something amazing as the storm begins to rage on. It says, this is in verse um, 19. It says, when they had rowed about three or four miles. I want to stop there for a moment. We read rowing three to four miles, but do we really understand what rowing three to four miles is? I mean it. Have you ever rowed before? Have you ever rowed in stormy waters at night with no light? I mean, these guys are no joke. We know that they're fishermen. We know they're used to this. But I, I went on a long rabbit hole, chase the rabbit, whatever the saying is, about this. But if you were, for example, just to give you an idea of three miles on the water, if you were at sea level, if you were to, to lay down at the flattest part of the beach, right, and you were to look out over the water, I'm saying you got to get real flat to do this, Where you see the horizon is 2.9 miles. Some of you are like, no way, I can see Catalina. Well, of course you can see Catalina because you can see like the top of Catalina. But I'm talking at the curvature of the earth, the earth is going like this. I was telling this in our staff meeting. Andy's like, wait, it's not a flat earth. You know, he's a smart aleck. But (laughs) but like at the the curvature of the earth, the human eye can only see about 2.9 or 3 miles. It's true. Now, as you gain height, you can see farther. So if, so if you go up 50 feet, now you can see 8 miles. The point is this. They're at sea level like this, and they're rowing off into this endless horizon. Three miles is a long ways, man. You can't even see your destination. And so as they're going, they're going, they're going. Um, it says they see Jesus walking on the water and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. And you're like, yes, they were. Because wouldn't you be? It's nighttime. 
I'm certain that we know of the personalities of these disciples through things like The Chosen. That I always love that joke. Anyways, we know, we know of the personalities of the disciples that they're a bunch of guys. I, I don't think it was quite like, no, come on, Peter, we got this, you know? And like, no, it's good. Like, they're not comforting each other. They're probably like, whoa, man. Like, I can't believe it. Why are we out here? Why are we doing this? You know, I'm sure there was probably a little bit of guy bickering going on in the boat as they're rowing. Meanwhile, it's, there's water happening, and Jesus, uh, you see, like, out of your peripheral vision, this someone walking towards you. Wouldn't you be freaked out as well? I love what happens, though, because the whole point of my sharing with you about, like, the distance that you can see, and as you get up a little higher, and the micro-retreat, and whatever else, is all of these things gain you perspective that you do not have on your own, because you're living right here, and you're just seeing an endless horizon. But as you step away and step up, as you see, like, Jesus models for us, it's still some difficult stuff, but you can see it much more clearly. Jesus offers that perspective to them. And here's what's amazing. The storm is raging on, and it doesn't say that it got calm and Jesus walked on the water. It's a stormy sea that he's walking on. Did you catch that? What did that even look like? You know, as I studied it and I listened to, tried to listen to the Holy Spirit, I just had this sense of this, that as, as we're doing this in life, going, do you put me into this, God? You put me into this relationship. I said yes to you with this business dream. Like, God, you, you, put, you led me into this. Why is it stormy? You ever have those conversations with God? You put me in this job. Jesus is like, I walk on this stuff. I just, I, I stroll through these kinds of things. Look to me. Don't look to the storm. Look to me. I, I walk all over storms. And then Jesus does this. He says to them in verse 20, it's I, do not be afraid. I got to tell you, uh, for me as, as I read this, and, and what I have not seen, maybe I've seen it before, but I just really didn't pay attention to it, of, an, of another miracle on top of this miracle, which I'll read in a second, but of all the, the crazy of of the Son of God walking on water. That's beautiful and amazing and a miracle that happens after. But what's just remarkable is Jesus' words. Jesus' words, it is I, do not be afraid. And then Jesus gets into the boat and you see he takes dominion over the storm. Um, The idea of Jesus calming our fears because what good happens in the midst of fear? What, is, what does fear ever get us, right? I think of like in the same, you know, examples of these captains of ships that are just willing to go into the storm, right? And the courage that they have to face, you know, these mighty breakers and waves and they're taking their boats through. I mean, that's like some kind of next level courage, Right? I'm sure that there's some fear in them, but there's some experience that they have of knowing the way that the ocean works and knowing that they need to be a steady hand and they've got to get through it. Because if we have fear in our lives, what do we get in our decision making? How many good decisions have you made out of fear? Let me ask it that way. Poor decisions come out of fear and anxiety happens on top of the, the tra- uh, on top of the danger. We have like the anxiety to go with it. But the idea that Jesus could walk on a storm and he could be invited into it, that in the middle of the storm, we could have peace. That's what the Christian life is all about. That's what marks us as different than, than the rest of the world. That, I think, is a huge part of our contribution to our communities and our, and our, our areas around us where people don't know the Lord, that, that we walk different in the midst of crisis. It's a relevant gift that we can give to the world that I think sometimes we might miss if we're not embracing it ourselves. Is this making any sense to you? It says that Jesus tells them in verse 20, he says, it's I, don't be afraid, and And I believe he gives this beautiful perspective of walking on a storm. And then he speaks into the fear that so often clouds our judgment and changes the atmosphere when he says this. In in verse 21, it says, Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land which they were going. 
Can, can, can we just read that again? They were glad to take him in the boat. I get that part. Because if, like, you can walk on water, you're welcome in my boat anytime, right? And that fear goes to gladness. That's the, that's the perspective that discernment gives us. That's the perspective of the micro-retreat where we're able to pull away and go, man, I'm freaked out right now. I don't see any way out of this. You begin to feel your body, the physiology of your body. You can feel, like, stuff rising, and you, you know what that feeling is like. But stepping away, God, come into that moment. Bring some peace to this. It brings a gladness over us, removing our fear. I get all of that. But then it says, and immediately the boat was at the land at which they were going. That is some kind of crazy teleport that's happening right here in the Bible. Am I right? Why not? Is God not capable of anything? And I guess the takeaway for me is that um, I would much rather get where I was going than have to row in the middle of a storm. You? That Jesus allows us and God leads us into some of these storms. He leads us into some of these difficult times, but it's not forever. That they have a shelf life. They've got a beginning and they have an end. I see a lot of people shaking heads because you've been through storms and you've weathered that storm and you've seen the faithfulness of God. And some of you are like, this is a really, 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 really long storm. Don't lose hope. This is where the Holy Spirit has led us to in Scripture and he's led us there for a reason. Don't lose hope. You be reminded that Jesus is walking on that water. He's walking in the midst of that storm. He's not running. He's not losing balance. He walks on that stuff. And he's near the boat. And man, you're going to be glad when he gets in because the striving and the lack of, of effort that it takes once he gets in the boat that he, you get where you need to get. I love that. I wish I knew how to speed it up. I wish I could put the PowerPoint up right now that says, and now if that's you and you're identifying with this, do these things. I think there's one thing that we continue to do is we continue to believe and trust that's exactly what John is bringing us back to over and over and over again in this gospel. We, we serve a God who can do anything at any time. We know that. Jesus makes those claims. He presents those situations, and he shows that he can do it. But he invites us to believe. He invites us to trust him, especially in those moments where it's incredibly difficult. There's a, a passage of scripture that's meant so much to me um, in, in my life especially in the middle of, of storms. Um, it's actually one that, that I, I want to read over you, and I, I'd love to invite the worship team up. We're going to bring our time to a close now. And we're going to sing this song over our storm and over whatever situation that, that we might find ourselves in. There's, the odds are that you're either in one, you just left one, or you're about to go into one because that's sort of the, the, the rhythms of life. And that's not a, uh, a fatal thing to say. That's just the reality. Not all of them are difficult. Some are, are short-lived. Uh, the, other, the other part of that is that we're supporting people that are in the storm. We're helping to do exactly what Jesus did for his disciples, that we're on a different perspective and we're able to speak into that storm and we're able to say, hey, don't be afraid and to, to bring peace in the midst of that storm. But I, I, I want to sing this song over our storms and that's that, um, that, that we have seen the goodness of God, right? And, and that we know the goodness of God and we declare the goodness of God. And if I could just ask you, maybe we could just even dim the lights just to get us in a, a, a space to, to turn our perspective towards the Lord. Here's the, the portion of scripture in Isaiah. It reinforces the fact that, that, yes, there are times that we're led into storms. Not always because we've been bad or disobedient. Sometimes it's the result of us doing something that we shouldn't have done and the Lord has allowed that consequence. But other times it's saving us from something else, as I've already said. But here's what we know to be true. This is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel... Fear not. I cannot say that enough. Fear not. Why does the Bible say that so many times to us? Is because we're prone to fear. I know that in my own life, that there's those moments where I just go to fear before I go to faith. And it takes a while to get out of that cycle, to get back into a place of trust. But as soon as I begin to trust and believe and remember who he is, those fear feelings go into gladness. He gets into my boat. 
And I'm not striving to row in a storm. He gets me where I need to get. And he does it quickly. Fear not. I've redeemed you. Listen to this. It's so beautiful. I've called you by name. You are mine. You belong to the Lord. Now hear this. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Can we stand together and, and sing this song? It's just a declaration of, of our hope and our faith. And as you're singing it, you might be singing it in different ways. You might be singing it quietly and it might lead to something loud. You're singing it quietly because you're like, I want to believe, but I've got a lot of fear in this area. I just want to speak hope to you, not my hope, but the hope of the Lord, the hope of the scriptures that just show us that he wants to walk into that storm and get into your boat. Lord, we sing of your goodness now. We're reminded of your faithfulness. We're not looking forward to storms, but we know they come. And we know just like the captain of those ships that are willing to go out into the storm, they've been through a million of them, so they know that they're, not everyone's the same, but they're going to get through it. Help us to be reminded of your goodness, that you've brought us through many storms, and you're not going to stop today. Lord, help us to be reminded that some of those storms are saving us from worse things. In all of it, God, help us to be reminded that you're trustworthy. We can put our hope in you. Let's sing to the Lord.
just be able to say, and this isn't something I'm going to call you up or embarrass you, but I felt like a, a, a response to the word needed to happen for some. That you're in a storm where you're having a hard time seeing where he's at in that storm, and it's been a long time. I just would ask you just to lift up your hand if that's the kind of storm that you feel like you've been in. Amen. You're not alone. Jesus, I want to pray, Lord, for every hand that's raised now. I want to pray for a a perspective that you would impart to each one what they need in this moment. That in the middle of what they're walking through, they would hear your voice. They would know that you see them. You would remind them that you're trustworthy and that they're not going to get burned and they're not going to drown and that you'll walk them through this. Lord, I pray that you would give each one of them insight into steps of obedience in the storm. Not, not, not like a deal they make with you. If I do this, you do this for me. That's not your heart. But Lord, sometimes you want to give us clarity in the midst of the storm. Sometimes we've been fighting in that storm for so long, we don't know how to do anything but other than to be in a storm. Lord, help, help them. Show them your heart. Lord, show them steps of obedience. And show them your grace, God. Show them your grace in new ways. Show them that yoke that's easy and that burden that's light. God, get in their boat, Lord. Get them to that other side quickly. That's our heart. We pray that, Lord. The second thing that I I wanted to ask in response to to the word today is, I think there's a different application to letting Jesus into your boat and that's the application of maybe you're just going through this life on your own and you haven't uh, asked Jesus to be the one who leads your life maybe in this life you endure storm after storm or or whatever else but you man I got this on my own and and the second response is the response to inviting Jesus to be the captain of your ship to let him lead you and guide you Maybe you've walked away from the Lord, or maybe you've never said yes to him. But I want to invite you just to lift up your hand before the Lord if you want to say yes to him now. If you need a date on your calendar to say, today was the day that I decided to follow Jesus because I don't want to navigate this mess alone, then I'd invite you to raise your hand before God. This is between you and him. But it's a significant moment that will change your life forever. God, you see every hand. You see every life. You know what each one needs. And Lord, I pray that you would bless them. Lord, I pray you would bless them into this season, Lord. That as we begin to now celebrate your birth, Lord, the reality that you're with us and what comes with all of Christmas, the good stuff and the heavy stuff that isn't associated with you, but it's because of us and our situations. We give it all to you. and We come into this season with you as the center of our life, the Lord of our life, the one who makes us glad the one who gives us peace in the midst of a storm. We say yes to you. We welcome you. We honor you. And I bless your people. Can I read this over you just one last time? Here's what it says. But now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, For I've redeemed you and I've called you by name in your mind. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned and the flame will not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be dismissed.